Hello, and welcome to the first episode of Making It, a podcast about making things with our bare hands, hosted by Jimmy Diresta, Bob Claggett, and myself, David Petrudo. Since this is our first episode, we're going to go around the table and introduce ourselves and talk about what we do. So let's start with Jimmy Diresta. Who are you, and what do you do? My name is Jimmy Diresta, and I make things for a living. And actually, I have been making things my entire life, ever since I was in elementary school, for pay. And so... It's uh, it's pretty interesting. Now that I'm 47 years old, I look back and I realize it's all I've ever done is make things with my hands for pay. And uh, right now I'm working with a lot of different clients, mostly branding clients. I'm doing a lot of branding for the liquor business, and that involves making signage and displays. And actually, I might make a, a woody trailer. Do you guys ever see these little coffee bean trailers? Oh, the no. kidney bean trailers. Is it a kidney bean trailer? Like you pull behind a car and you sleep in it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like the classic looking ones? I, I've just been, uh, I, I might, I'm developing this particular job. I might actually make two of those. But the problem is where will I make them? I don't have enough room. So, But I make all kinds of stuff for all kinds of people. That's what I do. Cool. All right, Bob? Uh, well, I'm a programmer by trade. So I've been doing web development and programming for, I don't know, 15, 16 years now. Um, so I do that you know, as my day job. And then after hours or at lunchtime, I make stuff and uh, just make all sorts of things. I'm kind of like Jimmy in the fact that I have a really varied interest. You know, I, I like to make all sorts of different things, um, but I think I make a lot of different things than what Jimmy makes, obviously. So, but yeah, it's really, I, I spend my time mostly making stuff to fill a need, you know, in my house or for somebody I know or something like that. So a lot of things I do are really practical and um, very purpose built stuff like that. So yeah. What about you, David? I am mostly a woodworker. At least that's what I'm known for. Uh, I make a lot of small craft things and I make videos on how to make small crafts that you can sell on Etsy or uh, handmade shows. I'm known as the drunken woodworker and uh, that's that's what I do. I'm also uh, a hobbyist photographer and I'm a musician. I do lots of things and uh, it's all kind of led to where I'm at now, uh, making videos and and uh, teaching woodworking. That's great. I actually also teach for 20 years. This is my 20th anniversary this fall, teaching at the School of Visual Arts in New York. I teach one class each week about three-dimensional design. And it's amazing that 20 years has gone by. I didn't even notice. Is the class called three-dimensional design? I'm in the graphic design department, so my chairperson is uh, the, the head of the graphic design department. So I am a 3D teacher in a 2D world. So I introduce students to a lot of different varieties of 3D, mold making, handling clay, a little bit of woodwork because they don't really have too many resources to actually do proper woodwork, um, silk screening, package design, any kind of three-dimensional design, uh, styrene plastic vacuum forming. So I give everybody, I give my students a little bit of a intro to each one of these different topics. Sewing, I'll literally bring a sewing machine in and make something on the sewing machine. So it's a, it's a really rewarding class for the students. They, they all seem to get stuff out of it. It's always a slow start because they, they read the description in the book and they're not quite sure what the class is about. And then when they get in and then it's all students that for the most part, have never made anything with their hands. They're all very computer savvy, but they're not literally physically savvy when it comes to hand doing things. But they, they slowly start to catch up. It's fun. 
That's a really interesting commonality. Um, I actually taught at the art school that I went to for a while. Um, I didn't realize that we were all kind of teachers at heart, but that's. Oh, that's did you go to SCAD? Yeah, I went to SCAD, uh, and you know, went to did computer art there. But I had to take all the the two D and three D design classes and all that stuff. And then right when I finished school, I went back and taught actually some of the classes that I had just taken for interactive design. Did that for a little while while I was starting up a company. So. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, the School of Visual Arts does that too. A lot of the students that do well as a student, they hire them right away to teach anything, anything from typography to to uh, you know computer skills. It's actually it's a really cool school in that way that they they bring students right back. You know, the teachers will recommend to the hierarchy that this particular student is good, so the teachers stay in touch with them, and it's all working professionals. That's sort of the motto of the school. So I could, I could in a semester. It's great because, uh, you know, I get involved with TV and stuff from time to time. So I could introduce potential projects to my students, and then as the semester begins to develop, so do my projects. And I, and I always involve whatever is going on in my professional career with my students, so that they could see it develop. And uh, it's great. It's great for them. It's great for me to be able to share that with them, so they could see real life examples of, of this kind of stuff, which is, which is something that I lacked when I was a student. A lot of my teachers, they, there's this sort of confidentiality thing, and I used to think to myself, you're making a, a graphic design for a potato chip company. I'm an 18-year-old student. All I care about is getting high and getting drunk. Why in the world am I going to run to the competitive potato chip company and tell them about your stupid graphic design? <laughs> this one teacher in particular who, uh, you know, she would always like say, she would never really show us her work and never really explain what she was doing, and she would always say client confidentiality. I understand it, but she's not. She, <laughs> but you're I a teacher. A, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> you're a teacher. I had another teacher who actually he had real client confidentiality in the way that he was doing corporate identity. He was a great teacher, and I learned so much from him that I still use on a daily basis. Uh, and that is, uh, he would do like when three or four companies would merge, and you know, it's total insider trading stuff. And he would do the corporate identity. And he would have to sign documents on top of documents to say that he wouldn't tell anybody because he had all he knew that these four giant companies were going to merge, you know, these public companies, or there was going to be a takeover, and they had to have a lot of the corporate identity prepared. So that was I always thought that was real interesting. So that's really what he couldn't say. He would show us past work; he just wouldn't show us current work. Jimmy, do your students know who you are when they take the class? Because I know you've you've had a couple TV shows. Uh, you know, it's funny. I. Not always, not always, but uh, my assistant, David, who's been with me now for seven years, I, I, he saw me. I, the very first show I did was a show called Trash to Cash, which was on FX Network for like literally three weeks, and then it was off. They ran two episodes a week, and then nobody ever saw it again. And um, so we did six or seven episodes. But he, he recognized me right away when he came into class. He goes, hey, you did a TV show. I go, yeah. He goes, I watch it. It was one of my favorite shows. So, um, And then in time, he became my personal shop assistant david he's in some of the videos he's a great guy he's been real loyal um and just recently so that was seven eight years ago and recently one of my students i have a lot of students this year from china because the school does marketing in different parts of the world and so that wave eventually comes to school so i I have lots of students literally from mainland china and this is one of my students he happens to be from hong kong and he came he stayed in after class a couple day a couple weeks ago and he was very nervous he was like kind of jittery and nervous he goes you're the guy from dirty money aren't you and i go yeah he was like kind of like like starstruck a little bit and he didn't recognize me right away so when he first came to class he was really you know he was just casual and cool but then when he realized he had been watching me on tv because I usually keep a big beard. I just shave my beard off. Um, he got uh, 
he got a little neurotic, like a little nervous to say. But he, you know, I was like, dude, chill out. It's no big deal. <laughs> <laughs> but what was funny was he, he, like, you know, we had had several interactions, and, and it wasn't until after a couple of weeks he, re- he realized who I was. So it was funny. But it doesn't happen that often. It, it's only happened a handful of times, those two notable times. Do you enjoy it? Do you secretly enjoy it? Oh, no, it's nice to be recognized. It's totally cool. I mean, it's funny. Uh, the other day, it doesn't happen very often. It, very, very, it happens to my brother more often because my brother's like the big mouth. And again, I, I didn't have a beard on the shows, most of the shows I've ever done. And now I keep a big beard. So people really don't recognize me. The other day, I was at this uh, lumberyard, Premium Lumber, up near Albany, where they sell all types of specialty lumber and plywoods. Um, and the guy working there recognized me. He was very nice. And uh, he, he gave me a couple extra sheets of plywood, which is nice. <laughs> 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 so when it comes to stuff like that, it's nice. It's really cool. But, uh, you know, of course, it's not It's not why I'm in it. Well, let, let's play off of that and talk about where we get some of our materials. This is a place in Albany and... Uh, I've owned my house in upstate New York 10 years now. And so in the last couple of years, I've been really trying to use the resources up and around Albany. So when I'm upstate during the uh, work week, I can go to Albany Steel and get the steel I need. I can go to this premium plywood. It's actually much easier shopping for these bigger materials up there because I could drive in and park my car. In New York, you can't put your car anywhere. You got to get deliveries. In some cases, the delivery truck is in front of my shop down here on Clinton Street and it's taken up traffic. Like I, in the pouring rain today, I had to offload like 30 pieces of steel while the, the car was like holding traffic up. And it's just, it's all more chaotic, of course, in the city. So I, I try and use Albany and upstate New York more and more often for resources. Bob, you make all kinds of different things. Do you have a favorite place to get materials? Uh, no, not really. Because a lot of my stuff is, is uh, it, it has to be ordered. It's not stuff that you can buy locally most places, you know, any of the electronics components. Uh, they're just really hard to come by locally. As far as wood and metal, I mean, I haven't done a lot of metal work in the last several years, but wood, um, I've, I've gotten a lot of it from some local places like personal connections. Like I know a, a woman who her father was a cabinet maker and he passed away. She sold off all of his stuff, all of his wood, all of his tools, stuff like that. And so I, that was a chance for me to load up on a lot of material and just hang on to it. You know, I don't, and I've got stacks of stuff that I don't know when I'll get to it. And kind of like that, my grandfather is a woodworker and he always has been, you know, a couple times a year we'll send down with my parents a whole bunch of wood, just like big stacks of stuff that he's collected, you know. So I have That's good. these kind of interesting, you know, connections for for that type of stuff. But I really just kind of piece together what I need for a specific project uh, wherever I can find it. Yeah, where I'm at, we have a, it's a hardwood dealer and it's a family-owned business that's been around for like 25 years and it's it's one of those places that it's really hard to go in and get what you need and get out because you end up talking to them for 45 minutes and even when I tell myself okay I'm gonna get out of here right away because I got stuff to do I I can't because they're just so friendly and they try to get local woods when they can but they also get a lot of exotic woods that I love playing with so what is the name Kencraft K-E-N-C-R-A-F-T and they do sell online. I go to Rosenzweig in the Bronx, and it's just the opposite. If you don't know what you want, I always use the analogy of the Monty Python movie where they're at the bridge. And if they don't answer the question in the proper syllables, they get blown off the bridge. So this is a place <laughs> in the Bronx. If you don't know what you want and you don't know how to say it quick, you literally – they just like they just say, this guy's a dummy. And they just turn their back to you. Hmm. It's just – it's a bunch of hardened like Bronx characters. and That's unfortunate. Anyway, but uh, I, I've I've gotten 
they they know me now. I just walk in, and the way the way I've been able to buy their uh, their fake sincerity is I just give everybody tips. So the minute I walk in, I just start handing everybody five dollar bills. <laughs> and I usually give them the money after I place my order. So like I just walk up and I hand the guy in the in the in the bay who would assemble my order. You know, it might be. Five sheets of plywood, you know, veneer core plywood with, uh, you know, mahogany or whatever on the outside. And then a couple pieces of hardwood, which you have to pick from upstairs. Then they send it down and then they have these sticks where they check the square, the board footage. And uh, so when I get my green sheet and I've paid in the office, I walk back out and I just literally hand him the green sheet with a $5 bill in it. It's so He's so used to it now when he sees me. You know, <laughs> he's getting five. And then the guy who brings it to my truck, he gets a five. And if there's another guy who helps him, he gets a five. That's just the way I get their respect. Otherwise, they just ignore you. It's crazy. I do the same thing when I go to a busy bar. Like that first that first drink yeah. that I get, tip big, and they will yeah. spot you out of a crowd next time. Yeah, totally. I tip <laughs> everybody big. <laughs> it really keeps everybody on their toes. Nice. Yeah, huh. it's nice. So, guys, we, uh, we were talking a little bit earlier about uh, how creativity is spurned for each one of us. Would uh, David, would you like to start to talk a little bit about where you get your creative juices going sure um it's a, that's a tough question where, where does creativity come from um for some people it's a spiritual thing and for me it's just my brain constantly in in motion and i have a lot of friends who are artists i don't know many i don't know many woodworkers but i know a lot of artists i see what they do and it inspires me and i'm like oh i just want, i just want to create something i want to i want to be like them and i don't know maybe it's jealousy or maybe Maybe it's not, but I will be inspired to make something out of wood from a painting or a sculpture that I see. Yeah. And and I, I I try to do that all the time. Or architecture is a great inspiration for me. I'm like, oh, what if you made a box that was shaped like that building, you know? So Yeah, yeah um, I could relate to that. It's all about, for me, it's all about keeping my mind and my eyes open and allowing to absorb all that throughout the day. So Yeah. Hmm. Yep, totally. Bob? Yeah, I think I'm I'm kind of the same way in in that uh, a lot of it's based on observation. But when I think of creativity, and this has come up in a couple conversations recently, but I, when I think of my creativity, I don't think of it in the way that artists do. And I mean, I, I have an art background, and you know, I know a, a ton of amazing painters and uh, people that. That's what I think of as the word creativity. But for me, when I apply it to myself, I think of it more as problem solving. So it's, yeah, it's the, the creative solution to a problem, to fixing a problem. And when I take it in that way, then I can apply it to a lot more stuff for me personally. You know, I can I can feel creative in a lot more ways. So as far as getting inspired or any of that stuff, I think I've found over the last couple of years that my main source is having a problem and then seeing a solution that someone else has done or or a solution that I've done to it in the past and then somehow my mind gets on this like this processing track for it and and I start going through all the permutations of that thing so like uh you know recently I did uh the a project that was my dust collection system and so it was a, and it was a need that I had and I filled that need but then I couldn't stop once I had that dust collection system there I was like oh wait I need to hook it up to an Arduino and make you know, so I can control it. So I did that, and then since then, 
since I did that one, I've got three or four more additions to it, like things to make it a little bit better, you know, things to improve it. And so I, I don't know that I would normally call that creative, but I think it's me trying f- to find better ways to solve problems. And yeah, I get, it's funny cause I do personally, I get very obsessive about things and, uh, like, uh, it's, it's funny when I watched your, um, when I watched your dust collection video, my mind started solving all these different problems that I watched <laughs> in your thing. <laughs> so I, I took it apart your, your gate trap and, and I put it back together about 10 different times in my mind since I saw it, because it's like, it like, it pegs a board in my brain. It's like, it's just like, it puts a, a post-it note in my brain, like, Oh, there's, there's multiple ways to solve that problem. And, and that's how my mind works. So when I see a need, like a lot of times because of our YouTube videos that we all do, I, a lot of times I know that I'll have to make a YouTube video and this particular one I'm working on right now, this is sort of how my creativity flow goes. It's like, I know I need a video for Halloween, for instance. And so I think, what can I make for Halloween? I can carve a pumpkin. I could do this. I could do that. And my mind always sort of gravitates towards different coffins because I love the way coffins are made and, you know, the beauty and that goes into them. And some of them are super simple. Some of them are pretty. So my mind just started like observing and actually there's lots of coffin makers on YouTube, which is pretty cool. I didn't realize that was so many, I just build a coffin and there's all these different coffin makers on YouTube. You know, some are serious, some are just sight gags. And so my mind just starts going through all the different versions of like what type of a coffin I would make and the different ways to make it. And so I literally start building it in my mind. And then what happens with me is my brain starts working in behind the scenes on that particular project. And so I completely just like slowly begin to lose consciousness of it, at least, you know, forward consciousness, and it goes into my subconscious. And so as I'm sleeping and as I wake up, I start getting these lucid visions of exactly how I should solve these problems. And you'll see in this video when I publish it, the complicated thing of making a a so-called toe pincher coffin is the ones that look like the Dracula coffins is the tapered sides and I wanted all these tapered sides and in my mind I'm like you know it's it's a compound angle it's a real pain in the butt to figure exactly how to do that and the because my mind starts to like dismantle things I'm like okay you'll see the way I was able to solve this problem um making it out of plywood of course because I just it's a simple way to to approach it is to make it from plywood but I did make it look like it was like a raised panel series of raised panels you know I, I kind of faked it of course but uh the way i cut the brim the brim that is the top of the wide part of the taper versus the bottom which is the narrow part of the taper i literally cut the bottom and the top at the same exact time and then cut a two inch edge off and raised it up in the air and then filled in the tapered sides so that was like the way my mind starts taking things apart and i know this is a really long answer i'm sorry <laughs> i'm rambling <laughs> on <laughs> but uh, you know yeah, it's the way my brain just like takes things apart and puts them back together. But I've been doing it for so long. I've been training my brain to to like go to sleep on a project, R- literally. I used to s- manufacture toys. So I used to solve mechanical parts and toys. And uh, the, the me and my brother would always do this brainstorming session together. And I would say, okay, what is the goal? The goal is for this to do that. How many different ways can this do that? And so my brain would start to literally jump on all these different options and I'm reminding myself now, sorry for rambling, I'm reminding myself now of a, of a, 
a mentor of mine, this guy named Bob, who used to design and invent. He had several patents. He passed away recently. He was a big mentor to me when uh, I was developing my ability to think and invent and problem solve. And he always said, don't write anything down right away. He said, take a couple, even if it takes a couple of weeks before you literally put your first note to the paper. He said, Mm -hmm. because the minute you write it down, you're locking yourself into something. You want your brain to be more lucid and, and to dissect and put it back together for you. He, he came from a really bizarre angle, but um, you know it's hard for me not to write things down. But sometimes I don't always do it. I hear Bob's head in my voice saying, don't write it down just yet. Just wait. Let it marinate a little bit longer. Do you worry about forgetting that thought? I do. Yeah, I do. I, I write things down. Uh, I scribble things down on my hand all the time. I like write them in the palm or the back. You'll notice in <laughs> actually in this uh, coffin video, I wrote on the back of my hand, Izzy 930 <laughs> tonight. <laughs> so I wouldn't forget Izzy's video. <laughs> I saw it in the edit last night. You'll see it in a flash of the edit. So I always write things on the back of my hand so I don't forget them. And uh, of course, I, I try to keep a notebook, but it's not always nearby. So I end up scrab- mm-hmm. like writing on the back of receipts and stuff. And I'll just write one word. You know, it's, I'm a big fan of stand-up comedy, and my brother's a stand-up comic. So I, I see the notes that comics write, and, and I'm very similar. I'll just write one word, like, obviously, for just to stay on topic, coffin, you know, toe pincher or whatever. I'm trying to think of what to call the, the video, so I might call it, you know, Dracula toe pincher or something. Yeah, just like a trigger word to, to get you yeah. back to that thought process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my mind is pretty clear, honestly. I, I don't take any medications or anything like that, and I think it's really helped me to keep my brain, you know, clear. And, and, and when I see these people that could remember things on certain dates and stuff like that, you know, I, I, I like to think I could do that. Of course I can't, but I know that I, uh, I have the ability to remember the weirdest things from the weirdest times. Like when somebody says phone numbers near me, I usually just like instantly remember them. Where's this coffin going to end up? Um, it's going to, I'm just going to have it as a prop. Uh, you're going to laugh at me, but I have two other coffins upstate. One that I just recently bought, which is made in all wicker. It's incredible. It's from Victorian. And uh, another one that my dad found for me many years ago, which is very similar to the one I'm building. Um, But the one that that I have upstate is made of mahogany, and it's really heavy. It's from Palermo, Italy. My dad found it at a garage sale in Long Island. He called me and said, I'm looking at a beautiful coffin. I know you'd want it. He goes, it's three hundred dollars. Would you pay me back? I was like, yeah, I'll pay you back. <laughs> <laughs> he was nervous I wasn't going to pay him back, so he bought that for me, and of course I paid him back. And then, but just recently, for three hundred dollars, coincidentally again, I got this wicker. If you guys Google, if you're listening, Google Victorian wicker casket, and the the it's amazing. I, I and I I love the a little bit of morbid stuff. The wicker caskets were made so that the body wouldn't overheat inside of the thing. So that's why they made them in wicker so that they could breathe. And then also so that they could breathe and that the flies wouldn't get on them. So that's why it was like putting the body in a net bag. And now wicker caskets are popular again because they're they're not harmful to the earth. They go back to the earth. Is it a woven thing? It's woven. Yeah, it's incredible. It's uh, it's Actually, my girlfriend and I might actually take a, a wicker class to make a, a – a, like a backpack, like a, like an old explorer backpack. You know, it's just like the big wicker baskets. Yeah, I'm becoming huh. becoming obsessed with those. I want to make a video of them. So I just bought two of them at, at garage sales. They're they're really old, so the the straps are dry rotted. So, but the actual wicker and uh, they're woven, which is great. And then so I bought those two backpacks and I bought this casket all like in the same time frame. So that's how I obsess on things. So my mind is like racing, like you know, in the background, not not on the foreground, in the background. Like these three things are just kind of like being taken apart and put back together. 
And then eventually, like, I'll see something and then boom, like, I'll have that eureka moment where it's like, oh, make that in Wicker and then, you know, add this detail. And then all of a sudden I have a project. My my wife is a, she's a basket maker. And oh, she, no kidding. And she weaves. And now I need to ask her to make me a coffin. I'm looking uh, for the picture. I'm going to send you the picture of it. It's, it's, it's so beautiful. It's incredible. I saw it. It's so funny. I go to this flea market that has all this antique stuff in upstate New York. And this guy knows I'm a weirdo. The minute he saw me, he goes, he goes, he goes. I know you're itching. He goes, I see you sweating. <laughs> I go, I go. I don't have a dime in my pocket. I go, but I want it. I go. Will you have it next week? He goes, probably. He goes. I go. All right, call me. And if you have it next week, I'll take it. And uh, look at that. Oh wow. I'm showing these guys a picture of this. It's all yeah. woven. It's got a piece of wood down the middle, which is sort of the support and has a wooden bottom. He told me what it was. It was a body bag, so to speak. They used it to transport the cadavers from the home to the – and it only has handles on the short end so that you could walk through stairwells and hallways with it. Oh, wow. So those who are listening are, are I'm sure, very curious now. So we'll put together some show notes and try to get a link to this this photo. Oh, yeah. No, I wicker. I, I Googled wicker casket as soon as I got home. You know, I was trying to find out if I was $300 was a good price for this thing because I, I had a week to think about it. <laughs> When, when it comes to something as odd as that, you don't see them very often. So it's like, it's almost, it's not really, but it's almost priceless. It's like, you know what? When am I going to see a beautiful handmade wicker casket made 115, 20 years ago for $300? You know, so if I have yeah. the money in my pocket, I usually always, if I do go to the flea market, I always try and keep like four or $500 in cash with me. I usually go, I do that, like I'll do that once a month at the very, the most you know, so I can always buy something really cool like that. And now I have it, it. We rent my house in upstate New York, so I'm not allowed to have my caskets out because we got a bad <laughs> review. <laughs> That's it's understandable. True. You know. It's true. It's like I, I had this creepy little uh, – and again, I keep these things around. They inspire me. They inspire my creativity, and that's what we're talking about. I don't even know where you store a casket, though. I just had it leaning on the wall. <laughs> Before I met my girlfriend, and she kind of she kind of took control of the house, and and we began to rent it, you know, based on her encouragement. The casket used to be right at my dining room table, so you, if you wanted to eat dinner, you just push it to the side. And, uh, <laughs> but it would be right on the dining room table. It was there for like six years. That was the big one made in uh, made out of mahogany, and now that I have the wicker one, so it's in my garage. It's it's uh, right next to my. If you guys actually, you could see it. It's in the video. It's nobody noticed it. It's in the background of the anvil video. I it was uh-huh. the weekend I bought it. it. Was the weekend the weekend before the anvil video is when I bought it. So it's out in the green grass. You see the end of it on the horses. I, I put it outside so it wouldn't get knocked into. A little a little Easter egg. <laughs> yeah, so it's in the background, and and then also I think when I in that same video on on the following weekend because I took two weekends to make that video just because of my own logistics, when I use the circular saw that cuts the three eighth metal, I think you see it also right in the background again. I was waiting for someone to point it out, but nobody did. <laughs> so I don't know. My creativity is drawn from the weirdest things. So I try and always be extremely curious about. Anything like when I walk past garbage, I say, "Oh, here's a good opportunity to look at a dovetail draw made, you know, in production in 1970. Let me go look at it." So I take the drawer, break it open, I look at it, and then you know, I I say I store those mental images when I see how uh, if I see a broken couch on the street and I'm able to like 
carve away the material and look at the joinery. I put those mental images in my mind. So it's like I pick the garbage constantly, but with my mind. I don't literally physically take stuff. So they, I think the garbage is a really good place, you know, as makers to really find how things are made. Like if you go past the garbage and you see like a, a hockey bag in the garbage, I always make things on the sewing machine. I'll take my razor blade out and I'll dissect it. I'm like, oh, that's how they make that joint. Hmm. I can't do that in my apartment because, you know, if I do that, I'll get in trouble. But when you see things in the garbage, it's a great place to, to teach yourself how things are made. Yeah. So. There's something you said uh, earlier about combining, you know, how you had the idea of the wicker and you had the idea of the something else and your your mind took those apart and combined them in kind of a different order. You said something to that effect. Yeah, yeah, well that's that that was just an example uh that that happens constantly. It's like I like I have to make another I don't have to, but one of my planned videos is to make a cannon. I want to make a cannon uh acetone or or something cannon that booms on the front of a yacht. It was a request oh. from a fan and uh so I'm trying to think, what can I spin the cannon out of? I keep thinking of like, what can I spin it out of? But that would be visually cool. So I'm trying to, my mind is constantly like, can I spin it out of a plastic tube? No. Can I spin it out of a steel tube? I can, but that would take too long. Can I spin it out of a brass tube? And I want it to be meaty. I want it to be like 25 inches long, you know, diameter of about six inches at its base. And uh, so I, I, I've come to the conclusion that I might make it out of what's left over of that uh, birch log that I've already made two other videos with. I made it like a, a birdhouse mm. and uh, a little log treasure chest. So the piece that's left over is still long enough. I might just use that up. You said that was a, a viewer request. Bob, do you ever make anything from requests? <sighs> no, I don't. I, I actually get quite a few of them. Um, but I I have a pretty limited schedule. You know, I, I do all this stuff around the rest of my life. And I already have a list of things that I want to do. And most of those are very specific to you know, a need that I have or something that I've just really wanted. And so when someone asks me to do something for a video, it just, it's not that I don't want to do it, but it falls really far down on the list, you know, so. Yeah. I mean, it is for me too. I promised this guy this thing like last summer. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I found it in my notes and I was like, wow, that would make a really good video. So when people do ask me, I think to myself, will it be a good video? Maybe. Uh, And honestly, I'll have to admit at this point, there's nothing in my videos that is anything other than an original thought. There's nothing that's been a so-called request. So I do have a few that are that are good ideas. But when people ask me, I, I, I often say, oh, I'll put it on the list. That's That was really my standard answer. Yeah. What about you, and David? I've never made anything from a request, at least not in a video format. I've only been doing the weekly project videos for two, three months now. And I've got so many things that I want to make first, like you, based out of necessity. Or I have... Uh, two handmade shows coming up in November and December. So everything that I'm making now, it's I'm making in bulk um, for those shows. And I'm also making videos out of, out of that. And then as soon as these shows are, these handmade shows are done, then uh, we need uh, an end table in the living room. So that's going to, that's going to be our next project. It's all based on, on what I need. That's great. That's great. I, I, I have no more room for the things I made. I made so many things I've run out of room. They just like <laughs> they get they piled up in my basement. I have things that's uh, well, so one of the ideas we have is since I have this house in upstate New York that I do rent to strangers on a weekend basis, it's like a weekend getaway. Uh, Taylor and I have been thinking about the idea of she has projects, of course, she's actually a handmade person as well, to put our projects up there and just put a price tag on them so people could see them and know that they're for sale. 
that's it's something we keep thinking we're going to do, but we just haven't gotten around to really doing it. Because if we did it, we want to do it like in a classy way. We don't want just like the house to look like a tag sale. So <laughs> we we still have to we still have to see it through. But it's it's yeah. a way for us to to get rid of some of the things that we keep making. She you sells to it. stores. So. You set up a lemonade stand out in front of the house, and so when they come in, <laughs> they have to pass by it and pick out what they want. <laughs> How many projects are you guys ahead in your mind? Oh, I just I, I just made a new notebook in class the other day, and whenever I make a new notebook, I immediately start drawing on the first few pages. And uh, each page, I got about ten, about ten or fifteen projects that I still haven't made. And you know, I I have all different. One thing, a conclusion I've come to in the last year, as far as YouTube goes, is that I don't have to. I'm going to use this as an example because this is a pretty elaborate project. I don't have to build a casket every week. <laughs> this casket has taken me a lot longer than I anticipated. But I don't have to jump through hoops. I could make a little wooden spoon and it gets a lot of views. So I have lots of video ideas that are fairly simple. And uh, so I always end up. I have a, a whole bunch of videos in line, but then something simple will come up and I'll, I'll do that. That's the point of Megan. Are you on a vid- video schedule? I am with Make Magazine. I have to give them every other week. I, I give them a video. Typically, it's tonight is my submission. It's, it's a Wednesday night right now. So I will finish the, the casket video tonight and submit it to them through the night. I'll dump it on Dropbox and they'll get it tomorrow and then they'll, they'll publish it. Typically on a Thursday, but sometimes lately it's been a little loosey goosey. But it's at least every two weeks. You know, it's not exactly always on the same day. Bob, are you on a schedule? No, I, I wish that I was. And um, actually, that's another thing people ask me about a lot. Like, um, I, I think the trend, and I'm not really sure why this is, but I think the trend on YouTube is to be on a, a certain project schedule. Maybe for people to have the expectation of when they can see something new. It's just too hard. It is. I wish I wasn't on a schedule, actually, <laughs> or I wish, yeah. or, or at least I'm thinking about moving it instead of every week to every two weeks, just because yeah. it's a lot of pressure. It yeah, is. It is you a gotta, lot of pressure, and and it limits you. You know, like you're thinking, what what can I fit in this week? Not what do I want to do? And for me personally, I would rather take a month and do a project that I really want to do, something I want to show off, rather than like. I got to fit something into this week, you know, and it's going to be small and not interesting or whatever. That's what happens with me. And, and that's why, uh, with the, uh, the, the simple videos like the spoon, you know, I literally made that before make a fair and I'm like, well, what am I going to make? And then the following week I made a, a birdhouse log with just hand tools. That was sort of a personal challenge. And, uh, of course I'd like to spend a lot more time doing simple stuff like that, but I do have like, I got to submit it. I got to submit it, and uh, then of course I have my own work, which takes a considerable amount of time. And then, and in my own work, I make videos. Actually, right now I'm sitting on a video for Dickel. I'm waiting for them to give me the green light that I could publish a video uh, of these boxes that I made, these toasting boxes that they wanted me to make. And uh, again, I, I had like a week to make those. They said I thought I had to make one prototype, and then they're like, "Oh, the prototype looks great. Can you make?" 15 more <laughs> I was like for when I didn't even know you wanted more than one like when do you want them they go can you have them in 10 days I said I guess <laughs> <laughs> I have a rush charge <laughs> yeah. now these guys they've been very good to me I can't complain at all but uh, they, they always just give me these these projects that 
you know, like I got a call today. I got to make three signs, which I, I'm happy. I'm happy the phone rings and I get work. It's fantastic. But they want them in like three weeks from now. I'm like, when did you know you needed these signs? Like this afternoon? Like, I don't know. But yeah, it's good. Yeah. yeah, I come from the web development world. I was a web developer for nine years and I experienced that every week, you know, like yeah. every, every project was an emergency and that's why I, I was happy to quit my job because <laughs> I, I wanted to get away from putting out fires all the time and, and living like that. So Yeah, I actually was, I came from the same place and I was in marketing, you know, in the marketing side of web development for a long time. And that's where those fires are, or that's where they were for me. That was like, you know, people think that their marketing is so, so important and they put all this, you know, all this pressure on the people who are producing the marketing stuff for them. And when I decided to get out of that part of the industry, I went from that to a product-based company to where, you know, it's six months of building a product. And the pressure is entirely different because they know that it takes X amount of time to make a product. And yeah. and the value is just totally different too. I mean, they value what they're doing in a, in a way that marketing doesn't. And so, Jimmy, you're talking about, you know, working, basically you're making marketing stuff for these people, you know, for all these different signs. And it's going to have yeah. that same kind of, the drive is different, you know, when it's a product versus marketing or something. You should see, uh, you should see what I just made. I mean, I can't publish pictures of it uh, because, uh, you know, I, I don't want, it's like, again, maybe client confidentiality. I just, you know, I haven't been given the okay to publish this stuff, so I don't want to get in trouble. But I just made a, a couple things for Johnny Walker. Actually, on my Instagram, there's the uh, picture of the card catalog that I made. Mm. But that gets a lot of Johnny Walker branding, which is on it, of course, by now. Um, that was just the basis of the product. But they, they sent me a picture of that and said, do you think you could make this and deliver it by October 17th? And that was like October first. <laughs> <laughs> how, did, how did you get involved with all these um, whiskey companies? Actually, uh, Make Magazine, uh, Make Magazine, in, in an odd way, because what happened was um, I got a, I started making videos for Make Magazine, and uh, then I got a casting. They, hey, Jimmy, you might be interested in this. They needed they needed somebody to to be in like a, like a competition, a live bar building event for George Dickel, raise the bar. That was their slogan. Their marketing slogan is raise the bar. So me and one other guy were both going to raise a bar opposite each other. And who the end, you know, who wins in the end was going to be, you know, win a thousand dollars. And what they were doing in hindsight, what they were doing, they picked me and this other guy named Jeff Del Papa, who's sort of a maker in the maker community. He used to, he's actually involved in pumping, Pumpkin Chunking, he's always on the Discovery Show, mm. Pumpkin Chunking. Yeah. And uh, Jeff is a, like a full-on metal worker, and I'm obviously like, a, I'm a little bit of everything. But in this case, I was a, the woodworker. So it was the woodworker versus the metal worker. And we were on a stage. I didn't know anybody. I literally, and I had just taken a commitment to work at a toy company. This is in the uh, the end of, of 12. Yeah, going into 13. So August, I took the job in August, and then two weeks later I got this casting call to work in Nashville to do this bar event, literally on a Saturday and a Sunday. And so I I didn't tell the job that I just committed to work for. I just said, okay, uh, see you Monday. And I got in my car and I drove to Nashville with my girlfriend, <laughs> did the event all day Saturday, <laughs> did the event all day Sunday, and I was able to drive home all the way through the night and get to work on Monday morning. Wow. And I drove, and I just drove to Nashville the other day. 
again, that's when I spoke to you guys on the phone the other day. But uh, so that event just happened to be in Nashville that week. And then I met all the marketing guys. The event went well for me. I ended up building the bar. I didn't win the competition, by the way. The other guy won, which was ridiculous because every one of the marketing people came over to me during the weekend like, man, this is amazing. You're right on brand. This is amazing. You're going to win. You're going to win. You're going to win. You're going to win. And then there was this so-called tiebreaker so that one guy picked me, one guy picked him, and then the tiebreaker stood up who was the 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 whiskey the guy who is the brewer, not a brewer, the distiller. He's the master distiller, John Lund, who now he and I are friendly. But John Lund stood up and said, I'm going to cast my vote for the most creative, the most – and I thought he was talking about me because everybody said you were going to win. And then he goes, Jeff Del Papa. And there was like a <laughs> wah, 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 wah because all the marketing people <laughs> were like – And then you sat back down. <laughs> yeah, all the marketing people were like – we told you to pick the other guy. Oh, man. <laughs> and so anyway, so it was a little, uh, I was a little pissed off because everybody, you know, for the three hours leading up to the, the vote saying I was going to win and I didn't. So I went home without the extra couple thousand dollars. Mm. But they called me literally before I left. They said, can you do, can you do what you did this week for, for an event in New York in September? So now it's August. So I said, yeah. So in sep- that following few weeks later I did I did my second bar build which is the one that's on my YouTube channel my friend uh, my friend did the video where it's a kind of got cool graphics it's me building a bar for me topia where I do this kind of fancy joinery um, that was the bar that I built the second bar I built for Dickel I built it in my garage and then I assembled it on site and uh, so that was my second event I ever did for them and then since then they just keep calling me back and now I've become very friendly with that marketing group uh, my friend Bobby and Chuck, they're really great guys. They hire me constantly. And that's all the Dickel stuff and all the Bullet stuff. And now there's another branding team because Diageo owns all these different brands. So all the other branding teams have seen me do all these different things. And they call up Bobby and Chuck and they say, hey, can we use Jimmy to do this? Can we use Jimmy for Crown Royal? Can we use Jimmy for Don Julio? And uh, so that's how I've been getting all these other jobs, literally just word of mouth. I mean, and it doesn't hurt that I've gone to an event called Tales of the Cocktail in New Orleans where you rub elbows with all these marketing people. Late at night, everybody's on Bourbon Street till 6 in the morning, completely drunk. And I don't drink at all. I'm completely alcohol-free. So it's funny. Everybody, like you see everybody start to wilt (laughs) in the beginning (laughs) of the night. (laughs) By the end of the night, everyone's like drinking water and they're all like watery-eyed and melty looking. You know, and it's also in the dead of summer, so it's 100 degrees out. Oh, but, yeah. uh, you know, you do these things and you, you, you hang out with these guys all night long and you bond. You, you know, you bond and you become friends. And it's, uh, it's, for me, it's a lot like my old days when I used to go to Hong Kong, toy manufacturing. You'd hang out in the bars all night long with these guys. And, you know, you can't help but do business with them because, you know, everybody's there to do business. And you're like, they need someone to build a prototype. I just spent three hours with them in some strip club. They're, they're going to give me the job, of course. And so that's how you get work like that. And it's not it's not too different, this the situation with these liquor brands. And everybody's fun and cool to hang out with, you know. So it's uh, so far so good. As long as I keep delivering and you know, hopefully they like what I do. That's you know, the other the other pressure is like, you know, hoping that I, I'm on point with what they want. Do you ever feel overwhelmed with all the work you have going yes. on? Yes. Yes, all the time. And, and, <laughs> Always. Then, and Bob works a full time job. Do you ever feel overwhelmed with all the stuff you got going on? Oh, constantly, yeah. But and I don't, not in a bad way. I think if it was, if it was in a bad way, I just wouldn't do it. You know, I would focus. I would drop the the unnecessary stuff and focus on the job and the family only. But yeah, I mean, I, I my days are packed 
100%, you know, and I sleep really hard at night. And <laughs> yeah. you know, so, I mean, it's, yeah, I'm overwhelmed, but I kind of do it to myself on purpose. So, you, you what know, it's interesting. What, you know, it's interesting what I do, and I don't know if maybe you guys can relate. I just say yes to everything. And in my world, it all has a way of falling into place. It's the strangest thing for me. I mean, maybe I have like a, an angel on my shoulder, but I, I say yes to everything. And all of a sudden I realize like, like even tonight, like we were supposed to do the Skype thing. I completely forgot. I reminded myself a couple days ago, but I didn't write it on my hand and I completely forgot. <laughs> and I come home and just as I sit down to edit my movie, I see the email from you guys. Hey, you guys going to do this. And that was like five minutes before when the email came in. So I'm like, I thought it was an hour and five minutes before. So I looked at the clock. I'm like, oh, wait, I'm only five minutes off. Boom, download Skype, open this microphone box. <laughs> and here I am. <laughs> so everything, all the pieces in my life always seem to fall into place. And I'm very grateful for that. And uh, like I had to make this this casket video. And then I also had to deliver a product for a client. At the last minute, the client canceled the delivery. She's like, let's do it at the beginning of November. There's no rush. So now I immediately got a clean slate this morning. I, I got to, I went to my 7 a.m call to go see a client because she had no other time so i went to see her at 7 a.m on the upper west side got back home and took a nap for two hours and that's all because my client canceled and then i got to spend the whole day making the casket video so just another example of how things fall to place knock wood so you know, david not you've recently you know quit your job and your full-time job and now you have a new full-time job doing all this stuff so how is the overwhelming how how overwhelming is it at this point I don't live by the philosophy of saying yes to everything, but for whatever reason, <laughs> I have said yes to everything. <laughs> and so now I, all of a sudden I have all these all these commitments. And I thought, you know, I was going to quit my job and um, all the stress was going to go away and, and I was going to have a bunch of free time. And it turns out I don't really like free time. <laughs> but yeah, I so I'm doing two YouTube videos every week. And then the past crazy. couple of weeks, I've been also doing a video once a week for Highland Woodworking, just kind of like a product tour, not really a review, but just saying, hey, we have this product in. And um, that's not supposed to be every week. It's just that's what's happened. So three videos a week for the past few weeks. And then um, nobody else knows this, but I might as well announce it now. I am working on a book. So um, nice. Springhouse Press asked me to make a how to make a bandsaw box book and so i just turned chapter one in a couple days ago late one week late <laughs> and uh so uh, i'm you know I'm, I'm working on that and for whatever reason i still do a freelance web project and that's that i'm gonna say no to from from here on out because i just got so much going on and just got married and i i, I need to enjoy the uh the, the life sometimes so I, I think i need to start saying no to, to certain projects so i don't feel overwhelmed and so i because i love everything that i do but it's like it's like hey i love chocolate chip cookies but you shouldn't eat 20 chocolate chip cookies in one day right so yeah yeah, yeah. so well, uh, you know the, you know. the problem the, <laughs> not every the problem, day not every day yeah when it comes to turning away work i the problem i have and i have to start turning away work is because I think to myself, oh, that'll take three hours and I could make $1,000. They don't know that, you know. But, but then when I say yes, all of a sudden that three hours turns into six hours. And then I start pushing other work around, you know, that's, that, that's much more profitable. So 
like when you said you do your freelance web projects, I like I, I foolishly said yes to these people that I would design their bar. I gave them a quote that was five times a quote that they got from some other guy. So they're like, oh, I can, can you design it and we'll have him build it? And I said, sure. So I gave him a number to design it, which is low, like $1,000 to just put together some drawings. It's the design based on their concept, but I'm problem solving the whole thing for them, how materials connect and go together. And so I'm doing these drawings. And at this point, I wish I never said yes, because it's easy for me to do the drawings, but it's it's kind of – it's 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 pestering me because every time I sit down, I'm like, Oh, I got to do this. Oh, and I got to do those drawings. And it's, I'd rather edit my video all night long than go back and do those drawings. You know, the edit, the, the editing of a video is much more rewarding. And ultimately I think is more, you know, is, will be more rewarding to me in the long run than doing this bar sketch. But anyway, it's, it's working its way out. I do want to make it clear that I'm not complaining about anything that I'm doing and I, and I love it and I need me all neither. this. Yeah. And yeah, I, me neither. I need all this because my future depends on, um, how many followers and viewers that I get. And so all these projects that I take on, is just going to increase more followers and viewers and which is, I know Absolutely. in the long run, it's going to, it's going to help me out. So. Yeah. But there's, the also, end- there's also something about, you know, learning and, and I guess we're probably all in this place um, but learning you know how to best use your time and what yeah. things you can do are the most profitable it's not that all those things are bad like you should really just turn them away just for the sake of turning them away but you know I found uh, a few months ago I got a chance to do kind of a kind of an art craft type show it was in a West Elm store which is a pretty high profile store and so I spent a couple of months making all this stuff to sell in the store thinking yeah this is going to be great I'm going to you know, spend the time ahead of time, make all the stuff, then I'm going to be able to sell it all. And by spending the time making those pieces, I wasn't doing the videos I wanted to do. And then I got to this event, tried to sell them, and barely sold anything. And, you know, the day after, I'm looking back at that, I'm like, man, I just, I misused, I misjudged what my time, how I was going to use my time and the worth that it had to me. So from yeah. that and a couple of other things, I just decided, like, you know, I don't, I don't need to be making stuff that might or might not sell for me personally that's just not where i get the enjoyment like i really enjoy doing the videos and and so i it it helped me kind of hone my focus and how i'm spending my time too you know and i think that's probably something i wouldn't have figured out though if i hadn't actually just done it and then realized after the fact that uh wasn't really what i wanted to do you know you learn so much from experience yeah. Yeah. I always say like like my girlfriend's she's younger than me and she's still learning when it comes to this type of stuff. I don't ever feel like you've wasted time. It's just now you have a better point of view of where you want to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a a bad experience isn't necessarily a waste of time. You just you just learned that you never want to do that again. So you'll never you'll never do it again. <laughs> so yeah. it's you know, it's, everything's a valuable learning experience, especially in this maker community i think yeah i agree yep well it's getting late so we should uh wrap this guy up yeah um thanks for for being a part of this first episode everybody and i hope you enjoyed it and you know as as we define this a little bit more i'm sure it'll change over time and uh you know we also are interested in if you have some ideas for topics that we can talk about um we have some ideas but it'd be great to hear from you guys and get some more ideas that we can work in in future episodes and thanks for listening and we'll see you next time thank you all thanks guys bye